My name is Ryan Miner. I am the host of a Minor Detail podcast. Several of the Montgomery County Board of Education candidates are joining a Minor Detail podcast for the first time to discuss their candidate platforms and the issues that will inevitably decide the future of our local education system. Stephen Austin is an at-large candidate for the Montgomery County Board of Education. He joins me now. I want you to talk about yourself and go ahead and introduce yourself to voters, taxpayers, and shareholders. And let's talk about how you arrived at your decision to run for this challenging office and uh, how you got into this. What say you, Stephen? Sure. Good question. And uh, I'll uh, I'll try to give enough background information so that people can kind of understand my what my strengths are and what I can uh, offer to this office. So we'll go back to a little bit of childhood information. I'm from Texas originally, grew up, I was born in San Antonio, lived outside of Houston, and uh, my dad was in the oil industry as an engineer. And before that he was a teacher. Oh, wow. uh, so we, you know, we do have some teachers in my family. T. Boone uh, Pickens. There you go. Wow, <laughs> not quite that, but yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, living in a pretty, uh, middle-class lifestyle as a kid uh, till about age 11. My parents got divorced. Uh, my dad became a single father. He lost his job because of the oil collapse in the 80s. And um, our house was foreclosed. And I moved three times in sixth grade. Oh, so, and the reason why I tell that story is because um, two reasons. I, I, I've experienced firsthand poverty. Um, it was it was traumatic as a kid. And uh, on top of that, I've experienced moving schools without my uh, you know, desire to move. <clears throat> and um, three different schools in sixth grade, every one of them was a challenge. And I know I know how challenging it is for, well, you know, I moved here. So, okay, and then fast forward a little bit. I told you a little bit. We were, I went to University of Texas at Austin, worked my way through school, had a ton of jobs, different jobs, have, have never not worked since I was 16. Um, uh, met my future wife when I was there. I studied art and computer science. And in between art and computer science, there was it was a self-created double major. I uh, I was a substitute teacher, so I, I definitely respect uh, every substitute teacher, every teacher as, as as a whole. But it is a challenging job. Now you also uh, did some college radio. I you did said. some college radio. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a pro at this. Ninety one point seven KVRX. Wow. I can still do the station identifier if you want. <laughs> WNBC. Uh, <laughs> none of the hits all the time. Um, and so, so you know, and then um, I left there, went to New York City, um, got a job in finance. So originally started off actually in a, uh, a uh, network engineering position at uh, Merrill Lynch, and yeah. it was uh, right after the uh, dot com collapse where I spent a good amount of time uh, actually doing operational efficiency work uh, and reduced expenses, et cetera, uh, for the firm. That was actually kind of our main goal. And um, did that for a few years and decided, you know, hey, I should move into the main business of, of the company. And I, I moved over to equity research, left there, went to a hedge fund, went to another hedge fund. It was, you know, I, I lived through the financial crisis. I was pretty much ground zero. I walked past Lehman Brothers when people mm. were walking out with their boxes. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've been battle tested in a lot of different environments. And so we moved here about four years ago uh, with my family and uh, my, my daughter was nine at the time. And, you know, knowing my hi- uh, my history of moving around and how difficult it was for me, I was very worried about her. 
Um, you know, we lived in lower Manhattan when we were there. She went mm. to school three blocks from our house. So um, it was a convenient location. And, you know, I was just looking for a good place for my kid to go to school and uh, spend more time with my family. And, you know, that's and so that I was doing that about until late last year and uh, started hearing some rumblings about some changes that were coming in the in the school board and uh, including some of the stuff that had happened down in Howard or up in Howard County, I should say, uh, and then also in Clarksburg, mm -hmm. as a lot of your listeners probably know about. We can get into a lot more detail sure. on that yeah, at some point. Um, and, you know, I, I had joined the Howard County uh, Facebook group, which is, I think, about 5,500 members right yeah. now. And uh, at the time, it might have been a little less than 5,000. And I was just sort of following along because I knew that some of this similar subject matter was happening in Montgomery County, but they were a little further ahead of, of where we are or we were at the time. And, um, yeah, I remember reading articles about how much resistance there was and how unpopular the, the changes were. And I thought, there's no way they're going to pass this. I mean, it's, it's, I think the, the ratio was a hundred to one opposition yeah. at the time. And, uh, when it in that day when it when it, they passed it i just couldn't even believe it i was beside myself and then that's when i started paying a lot more attention to clarksburg I, and i started the group because i looked around and i said hey there's got to be a, a social media platform you're, for you're talking about county. the facebook group the facebook group which yeah it's montgomery county maryland md is how and, and you so. have what 7600 7600 yeah and Neighbor, it's growing by every day local schools yep and uh it, so when i started that group i thought there, we, we need a platform for parents in Montgomery County, similar to what Howard County had. And I thought, wow, this is going to probably, I wasn't planning to run for office. I thought, you know, this will kind of grow on a steady, steady stream until the election in November. That's kind of how I was thinking about it. And then maybe the first week we had about a hundred members and I was making, I was posting all the content. Mm -hmm. And then the second week, maybe 200. And then all of a sudden, it just took off. And there was one week in December, we added 2,000 members in wow. one week. 2,000? In one week. Wow. Um, That's a force multiplier, man. <laughs> yeah. Social media. Yeah. So Montgomery County, Maryland, Neighbors for Local Schools, it's a private group. You can you can request membership. Mm -hmm. We do we do monitor the thing pretty aggressively. And uh, some people don't like that. And um, <clears throat> it is what it is. I mean, it's, a, it's not a... It's a forum for discussion about boundary changes and about the Board of Education. It's It has a lot of like-minded people. Um, I don't want to mischaracterize it. So if you if you don't like my message and you don't like what I stand for, um, you may not like the group. We do let we do let people dissent and uh, respectfully, but at the same time, it, it we have to control the flow and, and it gets to be a distraction. We, we kind of experimented with that early on and it, it just became too much of a distraction. So, um, you know, we do, we do kind of monitor the thing pretty tightly. So it is what it is. Now, if you, if you aren't familiar with this topic, uh, and you'd like a lot of background information, I started a 501 C4 with some of the members of the group. It's called, um, uh, well, it's, it's the same name as the Facebook group, but the URL is moconeighbors.com. And it has a whole bunch of background information. Yep. You can 
catch up to. We're going to get into that okay, in just sure. a bit. But I want to ask, I want to start out by talking about the inequities in our school system. And Stephen, you know that there's been numerous studies and surveys that have shown inequities uh, between the different schools in Montgomery County, and it's typically based on poverty rates. And some of these include the opportunities based on the income of school parents, and there's higher poverty rates in certain portions of the county, and they we're talking about after school enrichment options and arts programming as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested to hear your ideas about how to address some of these inequities that are clearly pervasive in our school system. Yeah. Well, when you say inequities, I, I'm not, let's, let's specify let's sure. be a little more specific. Now, do you mean inequities? There's an achievement gap. There's an achievement gap. Right. Absolutely agree with you on that. I, I wasn't sure if you meant um, inequities caused by housing policy or inequities that need to be addressed directly in the yeah, schools I, you themselves. Know, and if you want to address that as sure. well, that's yeah. fine. And if you want to start with that, and then we can yeah. move into um, the achievement gap. Yeah. Well, I think uh, the housing policy is something that obviously is out of control of the BOE directly. Uh I think there's a strong desire in Montgomery County because the way that Montgomery County sort of expanded early on, it's not it's not uh, ideal from a from a uh, just design perspective. You know, like urban design perspective. Uh, it's got a lot of suburbans. We all know this, right? So um, the the challenge is, I think a lot of activists have have wanted to change some of the housing policy, densification, et cetera, et cetera. We've had some progress in that regard. Now, I, now personally, I'm a big fan of density. Um, and I may actually not be on the same page as some of the people in my, in my group on this. Um, I lived in lower Manhattan. I love density. Uh, if it can be achieved now, I think the challenge from what I can tell the challenges on h- how you change housing policy to allow varied levels of income within a, within a certain range of, of the county. Um, you have to have mixed income multifamily. That's the only because the land costs are so high and the build costs are high as well. So it's, there's, and I'm thinking about this from a business perspective, but there's, it's very difficult to be incentivized as a builder to only build low income in a high land cost right. area. And so it, it creates unique challenges for the people that are advocating for those. Now we've, we've had the companion units were approved. And so we can build, you know, that helps densify a little bit. Um, but the other challenge is you have to, the school capacity has to keep pace with the changes in housing densification as well, uh, housing density. And so that's where the board has some control, right? And um, now, there's there's kind of two different branches we can take from here and I'll leave it up to you but you know I, I one of the theories of my group is that some of the folks that want to want to make changes in housing policy have got have essentially thrown in the towel or, or changed course a little bit and they're trying to express the outcome of housing policy change through school policy and I don't agree with that and the reason why is because you're not changing their daily existence, right? The same inequities that you're talking about don't go away. The only thing you've done now is you've, you've strapped families with longer commutes. And in many cases, some of these families don't have the means 
to make those commutes and and to have their you know their support networks kids leaving their support networks to go to schools that may not have those support networks it's it's a very complex situation and it's very difficult to solve uh, now I do support uh, diversity in schools and when we have boundary studies which we have all the time uh, when new schools are built or new capacity is added we do a boundary study and if we can add diversity when those occur in a way that doesn't uh, become a burden on families I'm, I'm very supportive of that um, now again we can get into a lot of this detail but the policies have been changed as you probably know that around these boundary studies which have actually boxed in some of the uh, possible outcomes right. so in other words if you it, it, uh, I'll just go ahead and mention it so policy FAA is it uh, has four criteria one is um, is uh, diversity and that's been elevated to the highest um, consideration and the other three are capacity uh, utilization and stability of assignment and so the problem there is that it's now a, kind of a one-size-fits-all model and if you if you want to um, adjust for just capacity I, I feel like it, it's not as easy as it was before um, and uh, and now the the possible outcomes have been reduced as well so we can talk a lot about that sure um, let me let me ask you about Montgomery County Public Schools operationally, Stephen, what are what are some of the things that you would like to change about MCPS and maybe some things that you would keep yeah. as a Board of Education yeah. member? Okay. Um, well, the things that I think need to at least be addressed at MCPS, and especially when you, you use the term operationally, which I think is, is a key term, um, you know, we have a budget of, it's around $2.8 billion dollars it's it's about half of the uh, county revenues 65 percent come from property values essentially from the county and uh, there's no there's no third-party oversight of that budget now 90 percent of that budget goes to salaries and benefits that's right of the staff there's 23,000 ish um, uh, people that are employed by MCPS uh, now, I don't want to even touch that. I mean, we need people. Pe That's one thing I wouldn't change is people. Uh, we need more people. In fact, you know, I just um, spoke with someone today who's very informed on this. Um, and, you know, the reports are, at least from some folks, that were $500 million underfunded, mostly for, for staff. So you can't really change a lot there. So that leaves about... If you do the math, about three hundred million that just goes to all other uses, right? And, and so one of those uses is busing. Um, we bus a hundred thousand ish kids a day. We spend, as of last year, one hundred thirteen million dollars a year on busing. Now, thirty million of that, around thirty, is um, maintenance, and that comes out of that three hundred million. The other, the remainder, is salaries. So. I would not be adding to the bus fleet. We, I've been told we don't even have room for buses in the current uh, um, depots. Yeah, I believe that our fleet in Montgomery County is the most number in the in the state, obviously, because we have the largest education system. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, so yeah, I, I wouldn't change people. I think we need to look at operational efficiency, at least in that $300 million uh, bucket. Because here, here's the real challenge that I think and this is why you want a guy like me who has a finance background, because um, we are facing essentially a revenue crunch 
potentially in Montgomery County. And I don't want to sound apocalyptic or anything, but um, Robin Ficker has a, a, a ballot initiative right now to limit uh, property value, uh, property tax increases to an index of of inflation. Right now, you can imagine in a system that doesn't have third party oversight and that uh, doesn't, you know, that has some inefficiencies, that your inflation within the school system is going to exceed your index inflation, right? And so you could see if we if we cap that uh, potentially, it's called the maintenance of effort yep so every year the 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 budget is at least flatlined with the prior year right uh you're technically by law you're not allowed to go beneath that exactly so we could have a decade i mean i don't know i'm just throwing a number out there of just flat at moe because we don't have the revenue in the in the county and and you know this we were talking a little bit about this uh coronavirus uh scare that's going around covid scare if that now, and I work in markets, and and if you look at the stock market today, I mean, we were down. I don't know. The last time I checked, thirteen hundred points. That's on the right. Dow. Um, yeah, I haven't checked my. Yeah, I think we had a little bounce into the close, but um, the the market is is quickly coming un, unglued, and there's it's it's happened so fast that people that are professionals like myself that look at uh, the numbers. We don't have any idea. It's so weird because you normally have a pretty steady state to forecast numbers. You, there's nowhere to even, you don't even know how to forecast it. Yeah. And so if if we, and I hope this is not the case, I, I really hope because I, I lived through the last one, but if we go through into a recession, um, that's gonna hit state revenues across the board. Um, and so we definitely need somebody in there as far as I, as I understand it right now, no, sitting board member has the level of financial experience that I do. And um, we, we desperately need someone that can look at these numbers, um, work with the underfunded positioning and try to find opportunities and creative opportunities. Cause that's another thing. I mean, I went to art school, I'm a creative guy, even in finance, I'm creative. Um, let's, let's come up with some new ideas to try to, to try to get the people that we need to, to, as you said, right? I mean, let's go back to the schools and, and how these kids learn. And every school, I, I hear, there's one thing that, or there's probably a few things I agree with at, uh, the other side of this argument uh, in the campaign, you know, the, the other candidates on. We don't need a one-size-fits-all model for Montgomery County. Yeah, I think that's schools. universal. Yeah, I think that's universal, and I totally agree with that. Every school should have its, the ability to sort of tailor its own, uh, its own platform. And we have examples of some schools that that have done that with great success. Mm-hmm. High farms, uh, farms is free and reduced meal. It's a it's a it's a representation of the level of poverty in a school, and uh, we do have examples in Montgomery County that we could we could I think we could expand and and um, use as a, a basis for improving um, at least the the potential for. Uh, the outcomes with kids, but we can't, we can't control their home life. Right. right. I mean, that's one thing we can't control. We can get early education in place and there, you know, we can talk a lot about Kerwin and the blueprint mm-hmm. as well, but um, uh, there's, there's just some things you can't control. And so we, I think what MCPS needs to do is set, ex- set itself up for success on every level possible for every situation. And, and that, that to me is the best outcome. I want to talk to you just briefly um, about, I think your candidacy 
for the Board of Education, and you personally, to an extent, you've, you've sparked some controversy in this race and preceding it as well before you decided to, to jump into the uh, at-large race. And by the way, I think that there's two, based on what the results are of the primary, two candidates are right. then moved through yeah. to the general election, which is in November. Stephen, you... Um, You've been accused of spreading misinformation. You've done some battle with Board of Edu- former Board of Education member Jill Ortman-Fowles, and uh, some of the activists believe that you're running a similar playbook in Montgomery County as the President of the United States. Okay. How do yeah. you respond to that? That's um, that's a that's funny. Uh, well, let's just look at. I, I'm more of a facts-based person. Uh, I think it's. Hopefully, if you leave with one idea out of this or one takeaway, it's that I'm a facts-based person. I'm, I look at, at what's out there. I look at what people say. I look at what people do. Um, it, the 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 website uh, or the the Facebook page, uh, One Montgomery. Let's take let's let's just let's take a little step back and look at that. Um, this is a page that was started as kind. Of, well, it was renewed renewed. It was already an existing website, and they. Um, they kind of renewed it as a uh, as a platform. Originally, I think it was to uh, support the boundary analysis. Um, if you go and look at that site today, I would say probably seventy five percent of the content is my is screenshots of my posts. Uh, it's my content, and typically, it's it, it will take a uh, an out of context post and tr- and essentially suggest something that I'm saying something else. Um, so the, it's part of the campaign to frame me as somebody I'm not, um, how so are they just just character, character, character assassination? Because, because the, the, this is my belief is that the, my opponents don't have the, the data behind them. They also don't have the support of the community that I have. Uh, they, their original message did not pull well. Um, Clarksburg was a total disaster. Uh, and they they've needed to change their their marketing and they've tried and they've tried now i will say and and this is this is I've, i'm very i find this very problematic and slightly disturbing my daughter who's 13 years old she um as embarrassed you know as a 13 year old would be that, i have a 13 year old that that their dad a challenge is, that their dad is running for the school board um <laughs> i think she secretly is proud of me and and i hope she is uh, she did a Google search on my name and that stuff is publicly searchable on Google. So she saw, she saw some of it and she said, Hey dad, why, why are these people stalking you? And I said, well, uh, haters are going to hate. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day. And, uh, I, my personal belief is they do it because they think that I, I stand a real chance to win and, and I'm a threat to some of their really uh, worst ideas. Some of your opponents have been endorsed by, I would call the Democratic establishment yep. of M- Montgomery County, including Mark Alrich and Sidney Katz and Hans Reimer and MC, uh, the the Teachers Association. Yep. And um, are you expecting any of those endorsements? Nope. Yeah. Um, I am. I I'm a disruptor. Let's just let's just say what it is. Uh, do do I, you see that Montgomery County has a a political machine? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. And you coming into this, you said you see yourself as a disruptor. Mm-hmm. Do you see your candidacy as that, and by extension? Yep. Okay. Yep. I uh, when when I'm on the board, I will be the person that is asking the hard questions. 
I'm going to be the person who wants to have answers about data. Uh, no more emotional kind of uh, rule by emotion and, uh, and no more ignoring the parents really. I mean, the, I'm not going to say everyone on the board is arrogant, but there was definitely a level of arrogance from the board that was ignoring a lot of the community voice. Do you see a dichotomy between up County and down County? Yeah, there, to some extent. Um, I think we, but I do think we have a lot in common that we, we all want the best for our kids. I mean, I think everybody wants Mm -hmm. that. Uh, but there's a little bit of a difference there. And I I was just in Poolsville. I'll mention, I mean, that's up County as well. And, uh, a lot of issues there, right? I mean, that that high school, I already had done research on it and seen kind of how bad the condition is, and it, it really drove it home when I saw it, when I saw it in person. Our kids are at Wooten and Frost, and yeah. Wooten definitely needs some upgrades. Yeah, and, the, and the, their their assessment was, we've been asking for 20 years, and the reason why we haven't gotten it is because Down County just doesn't care about us. And um, that, that, was, that was hard to hear, and uh, I told them, I said, I'm an advocate, I posted on my Facebook group when I got home about their their efforts. I think that they're being very creative by doing the co-location of, of um, community services. And, you know, I think that they could um, they could get some financing in place. It's $70 million is kind of what they got on the CIP right now. Stephen, some candidates, they've talked about bringing financial responsibility to MCPS, yourself included. But as you mentioned, most of our spending, it's teacher-based. That's where it's wrapped up in, yep. in the salaries. So there isn't too much wiggle room. What, looking at the budget, you're a numbers guy. What would you cut um, and would you be successful in that effort? And should there be anything that is not in the budget now that you think should be added? Yeah. Well, uh, let me let me kind of address that in a different way. Not anything specific that I would cut. What I would what I would look at is the process because from what I understand talking to some department heads and the way that their budgeting works is that it's kind of similar to the high level with the MOE. So if you're if you run a department, you get the same amount of money that you got the year prior. Right. Unless you have a new program that you've gotten funded. Um the problem with that is, in my mind, this is where the, the inefficiencies can come from, is that when you don't spend it all, you have a little bit left over at the end of the year. And what happens today is they just they just spend it because they have to. We should have dynamic uh, ways to, to handle that so that the if there's remaining funds, they get kicked back up to the to the general fund. Some or maybe it's a quarterly review of the expenses or something, you know. But but even that, if you just did that department by department, I think it would add up to a big number. Um, there's another thing, you know, just going through the budget, and I don't, I, I need to learn more about this. But we have a we have a print facility now. The print facility does generate some revenue. They out they they I guess they print for um, you know, for ex for third party um, contracts mm-hmm. and so forth. But I know that the expense level is, um, it's, well, I've seen the facilities. It's, it sits on a big plot of land in, uh, Rockville, uh, in Rockville. And, uh, it, it costs five, about $5 million a year, uh, in expense. And I'm sure there's things that we need to print. Um, but we live in a digital world. Uh, I never, I mean, I get something in the mail once in a while from MCPS, but it's usually over email. Yep. And I'm wondering, is there some way we could maybe reduce some of that or maybe outsource printing entirely. Uh, I don't know. I, I have to learn more about this, but that, you know, that's a specific thing that I've just found right. going through the numbers. Um, anyway, 
Let me ask you about third-party independent audits. You had mentioned that uh, we talked a little bit about that briefly, but our school system's not audited by right. the yeah. outside independent groups. Would you be in? Would you be in support absolutely. of that? Absolutely, absolutely. To yeah, kind of yeah. see what's inside of the budget and see maybe yeah. where we could make those requisite changes yeah. uh, and maybe save some money. Yes, absolutely. And not only that, I mean, the board. For, again, this is one of those outsider looking in kind of things. But from what I understand, the board doesn't have a lot of dedicated staff um, directly. They have a they have a chief of staff and that's it. So any any other kind of layer below that, they have to sort of tap different departments. And to me, that that's a layer of um, of the inability to, to see what's what's really going on. And so I, I would want that information if I were sitting on the board. I'd want to know, right. hey, here's here's your here's your numbers. I'd want to see those at least on a quarterly basis, and you know, run my own stats on it. Uh, because that's how you, you know, and, and I can talk a little bit more about my job and how that applies to this. But, sure. you know, I, I, um, I invest in public companies. And because of that, I get the opportunity to meet with the management teams, the CEOs, the CFOs of probably 200 plus companies. And the one thing I'll say about it is they're publicly traded. So all of their financials are there for everyone to see. And when I go sit in a, in a room with a CEO at a conference and I, and I ask him about his numbers, Everything is is out in the open, and I'm allowed to ask him anything I want. I know all about yeah. that. I just finished a finance report where I go on the company's website, and you can find the cash balance statement, and it's all there. It yep. makes for some some great uh, some practice applications. Yeah. And and when you've been doing it as long as I have, I mean, there's there's times when it's actually kind of fulfilling when you do it because you're like, wow, these guys, these are these are these are industry veterans, and they're listening to me for ideas. But um, I've had companies go and implement ideas that I thought would help their businesses and uh, they've they've done it which is great so you know sitting on the board I'd love to have the same access to the numbers so that we can ask the hard questions we can get answers and if we see something that doesn't look right we can have it addressed have so, you found it difficult in your candidacy and prior to that to to ascertain information from Montgomery County Public Schools um, it's out there you know, it, it's it's not in a very central location and you have to do a lot of digging. I mean, like, for instance, I was looking at. Um, so one of the things that the um, my opponents like or used to like to talk about, I think I kind of smashed their their um, analysis because they were doing they weren't doing the right analysis. But um, portable classrooms mm -hmm. that uh, which Montgomery County Public Schools actually calls relocated. They have 400 portable classrooms, uh, they, I believe. I think they have 500 and something, actually. Is that, but, is that yeah. what it is now? But, they're, but wow. they're using 400 and something for overflow. The rest of them are used for, um, I think, daycare and uh, some other activities. But um, so to find that data, I wanted I wanted more information on that program. It took me a while. Yeah. I mean, just searching different different sub-websites and, and so forth. So um, that was hard enough. And then when you go to look at the budget, it's – it's very high level, so you really can't drill down in the weeds on some of the, the individual departments. But as a Board of Education member, you are receiving information at a rapid-fire pace, and you're making complex, high-level financial decisions that obviously will affect uh, pretty much every facet and I don't, and I think people who, many people who are listening and will listen eventually on the podcast and uh, elsewhere, that 
there's there is some confusion of exactly what board of education members really do and i think the simplest way to explain what you're doing is is that you are the board of directors for a major yeah. corporate institution yeah. and you are making these very high level complex financial decisions with the information that you have at your disposal it would behoove someone to have that background yeah. in in finance and maybe other I, other board members have that requisite financial experience but still um i diversity of uh of of you know i always heard that in order to be on the school board you should be a teacher well yeah. you know i think that that's a concept and that's an idea that you we really should explore is that always true in every case and i think the answer is no you need a diversity yeah. you understand corporate boards i understand corporate boards you need a diversity of thought and opinion on that board to really make sense yeah. of what happens. And there's and there's a big push, as you probably know, at corporate boards to get more diversity oh, yeah. of, of professional experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so um, when one of the candidates says experience matters, yeah, it does. Yeah. Uh, I totally agree with that. And I have the experience that I bring to the, to that diversity. Now we have, we already have some board members with very deep knowledge of the, the existing system. And I would, I would say, well, it hasn't worked out terribly well. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, maybe we do need some fresh, a fresh set of eyes from a different perspective. Let me ask you about your, what you've done inside the school systems. That's sometimes a, a question that you'll hear from parents. What have you done inside of your kid's yeah. school? So Stephen, what about you? Where, what did you, what kind of volunteer experiences do you have? Um, what kind of positions have you held inside of your kid's schools? And yeah. are you involved in PTA? Uh, I'm not involved in PTA. Um, I, I, I'm, Sad to admit, um, I, I'm, I get involved with my kids directly and uh, I volunteer for a lot of the activities, um, you know, field trips and presentations and so forth. So I, I, I definitely uh, am engaged in my kids' education. And you know, I will say it, it is a fair criticism that prior to starting this movement, uh, I wasn't as engaged as I should have been probably right, and I, I think a lot of people in our group are the same way. Well, They're, people like, have to have a spark, right? Yeah, there has yeah. to be something that, it, and and look, every candidate is different. Some people have longstanding ties to our public school system, and some people just want to get involved, and it just strikes right. them at the right moment. Well, if there's one good takeaway that comes out of this, it's that there's eight thousand parents, many of whom were not involved in their in as tightly as they are now, and we're not going away. So no matter what happens in April and November, this, this group is going to keep growing and uh, we're going to keep parents engaged and we're, we're going to be an advocate for the community. So I think it's fair to say that your campaign really originated as a result of this boundary analysis. And the homepage of your campaign website states that you're committed to keeping kids in neighborhood schools. And you're, as you mentioned, responsible for creating the Montgomery County, Maryland neighbors for local schools. And you also have a 501c4. Do you, is that supporting your candidacy, the C4? No. Okay. No, it's a, it, it was just started as an advocacy group. And, um, there was a big there was a big desire because if you join the group and you, it, it's almost overwhelming and we speak a different language. So when you've been doing this for months on end and I do it pretty much every waking hour that I'm not either working or with my family. Um, and a lot of times I push my family away, unfortunately, because it's just so much work. But um, the uh, 
it's a, it's a different language and it's hard to get it to get to jump in midstream and so the idea was to to start this 501c4 that could uh get there's a lot like i said a lot of information on there and it's a lot of background so that you can get up to speed and then you can hopefully participate in the in the facebook group um and just be more well informed got an active group yeah and it I, has, I follow closely yeah. and you yeah. you have quite a bit of people who are posting content really every day yeah yeah, it's been great. And oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to ask you, and I think this is the crux of this this race. The what's defining this race, I believe, is the boundary study. Yeah. That's the big question. Yeah. Do you support altering the contiguous boundaries? And you've really already answered that, but I hope you'll expound. And would there be any situations where you would support changing non-contiguous boundaries? And do obviously you already support neighborhood schools? So. Yeah. Well. Um, let me. I'll try to answer that directly, but there's. I'll. Uh, I'll paint a, a full picture while I talk. Uh, so, look at the at the highest level. What I find my opponents have done, and I I, ta- I talked about this a little bit. They've they've changed their marketing, right? And so their approach is to say they've changed it multiple times. But uh, when when we weren't when people weren't paying attention, I actually brought this in, and I was thinking to read this. Sure. Um, actually, two things, and and probably my opponent's not going to like this much, but um, <laughs> uh, I'm going to read it anyway. Uh, so this is the memorandum that came out with the boundary analysis that was written by the student member of the board at the time. Was it Nate? No, it's or... Ananya uh, Tataconda. Oh, she, okay. she was the one behind this, and uh, in the first paragraph, it says fiscal responsibility twice. Uh, however, there's no numbers anywhere in this. There are, there are zero numbers about fiscal responsibility anywhere. Um, and I find that problematic because it, as a finance person, when you talk about fiscal responsibility, you better have, have numbers. To, we have yeah. to quantify. Yeah, exactly. And now, um, she, so, but they, they kind of, um, give you hints about what they want to do. And it says, although we cannot address housing patterns or solve socioeconomic inequity challenges within our county, we can examine how such factors might impact or be mitigated by how school boundaries are drawn and or where academic programs are placed and provide the board with an opportunity uh, to create equitable learning environments in Montgomery County. Now, that to me sounds like that taken alone doesn't give you enough of a picture. But then uh, that was for the boundary analysis. Now, prior to this, was about how many months was that? A few months before is when they changed policy FAA. And so this is from a FOIA request from the former board member you mentioned earlier in which she sent uh, a whole host of emails of feedback from parents out to her friends. And in the email... You're talking about Jill Ortman Yes. And uh, she sent it out to her friends, which to me seems insane. Like, why would a sitting board member send uh, private emails from parents to... uh, to her friends, one of their friends is a is a is a candidate right now, and uh, which one? Uh, it is um, Lynn Harris, and it says um, now she wrote a, she did a write up about this, but she didn't she never said that she doesn't want to do this. Wouldn't it be interesting if nobody knew which school in the county their student would attend? If every year or every time you get ready to move to the next school, it was a roll of the dice. Now I don't. Now she said, well, I, I didn't mean that as taking out of context. No, she wrote this after the sitting board member called the parents racist for having questions about this, uh, these changes. 
which were, by the way, changed within 11 days without proper community feedback, which is another problem. This, there's so many problems, but... Um, what do you think, uh, what's your takeaway from let's roll the dice? I Well, okay, that's, yeah, that's, that's a great question. So in my mind, what the reason why the messaging had to be changed is because the real motivation here is to deal with housing policy with our children. And rolling the dice would do exactly that. You, you want to untether, or I should say, Joel Ortman Faust wants to untether your house from any expectation of any school you will attend. And she has a quote, which I don't think I brought with me, but I'll give you the gist of it. Your buying a house does not buy you a school. And she goes on and on and expounds on that many, many different ways. But yes, of course, it doesn't buy you a school. I don't think anybody has ever really said that, but it does buy an expectation and this is true. So what she's saying is false. What I'm saying is true. Does buy you an expectation that you will have access to a neighborhood school. And I and that has been the case. That still is the case. And so they had to change the message, right? This data point came out. 37% of kids in MCPS do not attend the nearest school. Well, that sounds kind of similar to what I'm saying. Neighborhood schools, right? So why is there a big beef here? Uh, well, it's because... <laughs> They, they're hiding their real intentions, which is moving kids around for a political ideology. What do you, that's, that's, a, that's a great question. And I wanna tap into that. And I think my next question mm -hmm. will, will okay. help us expand on that sure. consideration and thought. So to put our cards on the table, we've heard the concept of busing, which is part of what could become of the boundary study. And we yeah. should, and I wanna, I wanna mention that the boundary study has not been completed by this- Boundary, boundary analysis. The boundary analysis right. has not been completed by yeah. W, it's XY. XY. Mm -hmm. Feels like a radio station. Yeah. It just needs another call letter. <laughs> and this, this study, and it cost, I believe, 400,000, is that? Closer to 500, but, but, but keep in mind, the contract is for up to 2 million, so they can renew it every year for up to four years. Now, we've heard consistently, and I think it's fair to mention, we've heard it over and over again, that there's not gonna be busing. There's gonna be no busing. I've heard that from candidates, I've heard it from board members, so I just wanna put that out that's there. Well, but th ask Clarksburg, because that's, they absolutely bust kids in, in Clarksburg. They swapped well, kids. Well, and I want to ask you this concept of busing. Let's give it to it. Let's yeah. give it to parents straight. They want to know if you support this, and what does that? What would that mean for for schools and as you call it, neighborhood schools? Yeah. Um, what would that mean? Yeah. So let's start with the numbers. Uh, the portable classrooms we said cost six million dollars a year. They house ten thousand students roughly. If you do the math on that, it's about $600, $600 per student per year. If you look at the 113 million we spend to bus 100,000 students, it's $1,100 per student per year. So when people say fiscally responsible to move kids around, if you're adding even one incremental bus, you've doubled your cost for, you know, for, for the incremental kid that you're moving. Um, so it's not fiscally responsible and it causes trauma. Let's talk about the, the lack of mental health professionals we have. The ratio right now is 1,800 students to one mental health professional. I told you at the beginning of this that it was traumatic for me to move schools against my will. When we start moving kids around, they're gonna need this support. We don't even have it. So first of all, Montgomery County Public Schools can't even afford to bus kids, even if they wanted to, which gives me some comfort. 
uh, because I think that the Jill Ortman Fausts of the world, they'd love to swap kids all over the county if they could, but th- there's too much there's there's too much uh, friction in in just logistics. You mentioned the socioeconomic or a political agenda. Yeah. What does that mean? Okay. It, at the root of this, you've you've defined your position and you've talked about what the opposition is saying. What does that mean? What goal do you believe that they have? Yeah. So I don't think the the people on on the other side of this argument are bad people. I think they have deeply held, uh, emotional, emotionally charged political beliefs, and I don't even necessarily disagree with their vision of the future <laughs> uh, if it didn't involve things we can't adjust for right so, so but my point is their political beliefs are so strong that they're willing to ignore the data that tells them it won't achieve any Im- improvement in the achievement gap and, to, and in my mind the real the real prime objective of the board of education is to educate the kids the best we can and that includes trying to, ch- to close the achievement gap well, if you look at MCPS's own data in the um, equity in the uh, equity accountability model, which if you haven't looked at this, I would I would highly recommend mm-hmm. uh, dr- uh, drill down into this. I, I made a post on it that, that kind of didn't catch a lot of um, feedback, but uh, essentially what it came down to was the high farms, um, black and brown kids that were in low in, low impact schools, meaning you know high, higher socioeconomic status. Their performance was in this model wasn't any better than the than the same kids in uh, in a high impact school. So in other words, moving them from one school to another in in that model had no improvement. So you're saying that impoverished kids uh, who of of color because we're a minority majority county mm-hmm. that are in schools that are less than adequate, so to say, and then who are taken out of their schools and then put into another district with higher performing schools that the mo- you're saying that the model is defunct. The model, the model suggests that that did not result in an improvement in the achievement gap. There's also data, there's, there's decades of data and you have to look, th- this is the key. And a lot of my opponents try to obfuscate this. It has, the data has to come from a similar County to Montgomery County, right? We spend more per, student at the high impact schools than we do at the low impact schools. So if you're a, if you're at a title one school or a high farm school, you're spent the, the spend from MCPS is about $14,000 per year per student at a, at a low impact school. It's more like 10,000. Mm. So I would, I call that a progressive model. Now, are there things that could be improved in there? Absolutely. But the point is you have to look at data from a system like that. And, and the data shows that when you move kids around from those low impact to high or high or vice versa, there's little to no change in the achievement gap. So my point is, if it, if it costs double <laughs> than having a kid stay local and it doesn't uh, achieve the, the desired results, then why and, and we're underfunded and we have a revenue crunch. Why would you put those incremental dollars into something you know isn't going to work? Is it unreasonable to expect when you move into a community that your son or daughter will be attending a specific school? I've, I've been led to believe by other activists that that expectation should no longer be on the table. Have you had similar? Um, 
uh, I think I don't remember which way you asked that question, but the but you should not you should be you should have a reasonable expectation that your kid will attend right. a school that is close to your house. Now, does that mean you get like if I moved into a certain zone for an elementary school that's way over capacity and the kids in kindergarten that I should absolutely expect that my kid will never be moved from that school? No, because people understand that we have capacity constraints. Right. It's a growth school. I, I hope we continue to grow because if we stop growing in Montgomery County, then that's a bad sign. But people also move into school districts such as the Wooten School Cluster or Poolsville or Clarksburg, wherever. They, I, I really believe people do move in there for the fundamental oh, yeah. reason to yeah. because they want their child to go to a high-performing school. Sure. There's nothing wrong with that. No. And, and I think that it's important, but... It, to understand the other position um, is, yeah, I'm going to be doing many of these interviews, but yeah. it, it, your position makes sense to, to many parents. And now this is an area where there is capacity issues, and but I still don't think it's unreasonable to expect if you move into a certain neighborhood and you and look, your realtor obviously can't tell you that, right, right. and we know that that's that's a law. Yeah. Um, to expect that your child would be then going to a specific school. Yeah. Um, well, it, I, I, I would have to share this with people um, sure. on a one-off basis if they wanted to see it. But what I, what I tried to do here was I tried to take, because the, again, back to policy FAA, the way that policy FAA is written and the way that it was implemented in Clarksburg suggests that you can't do these changes unless you have a an overcapacity school cluster like we're talking about high schools now because I, I gave you an elementary example sure. but let's talk about high schools or middle schools a cluster that is adjacent to another cluster where the capacity is offset right one's way over way one is under but they also have to have a farms disparity under policy FAA. that's free and reduced meals free yeah. and reduced meals yeah. and so i've I, i've gone through the wxy i've got the book right here i'll put it up for the camera as i carry this thing <laughs> around with me i got like four of them um i've gone through their numbers and i've looked at what examples of schools would even fit that and th if i'm even stretching i'm getting five high schools out of 27 hmm. that you could do that with and it doesn't really move the needle that much in middle schools, and you also have to keep in mind that some of these have uh, CIP projects coming, so m a, a large majority of these high schools actually will have capacity built. Middle schools, there's one, because I, I, there's another one with CIP. Even elementary schools, elementary schools are difficult because the high farms ones are all, oftentimes Title I, and you can't remove kids below a certain threshold or they lose Title I That's status. Right. Yep. So, but then that, that begs another question if you were really not going to be able to move that many kids if if we follow what they're saying then why is the resistance to my candidacy so fierce right like why are people why are people stalking me on a website so much that my daughter is asking me about it if if we weren't going to move that many kids it shouldn't really matter um it's a good question maybe you, that's one to ask somebody else who comes on here on the other side of the the argument I want to ask you about the numerous instances of MCPS employees who've been arrested for and convicted of sexual assault and sexual misconduct. And this is an issue that is one of the most pressing issues facing our public school system here in Montgomery County. And many parents have expressed their concerns over the way that Superintendent Jack Smith 
has addressed the problems. They believe yeah. that his response has been inadequate. How would you address this imperative issue as a Board of Education member, and how would you work to foster transparency in our system? Yeah. Well, that's a good question. Um, well, I, I'm going to relate that back to my Facebook page. I will I will give will give Jack Smith a little bit. I mean, I, I have lots of issues with Jack Smith, but when you've got 23,000 employees and 167,000 kids, um, you know, you can't be everywhere at the same time, right? I mean, my Facebook page, we have 8,000 and there's things that I miss a lot and, and uh, you know, or posts that are questionable that take longer to get removed than they should because there's just so much to, to stay on, on top of. So I understand that constraint, but as, as it relates to, there should just be zero tolerance. I, I mean, whether it's staff or students, um, I'm supportive of restorative justice for the students as long as it's uh, implemented properly. Uh, I still have questions about whether that's the case and we definitely need some oversight on that. But um, for the students, you know, I think that the the research shows that restorative justice does have some positive um, benefits to it now when it comes to teachers zero zero tolerance i mean like just no but we also should not have convicted felons who are students after they're arrested showing up at school right there was a big controversy about that the the one that, uh, that was um had a conviction and was still going to school and then and then committed another crime i think he raped a girl and uh they had to deliberate on whether they were going to let him in back into school while he was on bail. And it's like, no, that that's, if, if there's a policy that allows that, that needs to be changed. Speaking of superintendent Smith, how would you grade his performance? C plus. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's a hard job and I've heard, I've heard that Quan if you quantify that, do you, what, what changes would you like to see him make and what, um, what can he do better? And yeah. you mentioned that, obviously he can't be everywhere right but um what would you what would you say to that well i have heard that when i when i say c plus the plus comes from i've heard that he's actually um done a better job than in, than the prior uh superintendent in terms of uh some of the negotiations that go on with um the unions and so forth he's um now the unions may not agree with me on that, but that's what I've heard. Now maybe if I'm in there, I can find out more about that. Uh, but I think he needs to. The whole board needs to communicate better, and I think it starts with the superintendent. Right now, they they communicate in legal speak, and I understand why they do that because they don't want to be sued. <laughs> but then again, I just went to a school that has asbestos in the ceiling and it's encapsulated, so. Um, there's lots of chances to get sued. So, you think the Board of Education, as it stands now, has difficulty communicating directly with parents? Absolutely. Yeah. That's Have you huge... experienced that personally? Yes. Getting information? Yeah. Just well, just getting getting your voice heard, right? And 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 the board being attentive to the community instead of dictating to the community. And I feel like that's. I mean, if you want to talk about why I'm running, that's one of the reasons. Is that I feel that the board has lost touch with the parents and the taxpayers. There's two parents on the board right now. I'd be the third. Uh, we need more parents because once you, once you don't have skin in the game and your kid has grown or you, or something along those lines, you, you just lose touch. I believe that's Shebra Evans, who's the board president right. and then Rebecca Smondrowski. Yep. Uh, no, actually, uh, Rebecca's kids are grown recently. It's, um, it's, uh, Carlos Silvestre actually. Oh, ah, okay. Yeah. Um, 
staying on the subject of uh, Jack of Superintendent Jack Smith, Doctor Smith, yep. he had a recent salary increase. Uh, is this a smart investment in MCPS? Well, I think you you want to always be able to attract the top talent. Um, so whether it's Dr. Smith or someone else, uh, that salary is is going to be the salary for your superintendent. And I mean, there's a lot of talk. There was a lot of talk about the uh, the board salaries. Um, they wanted sixty. They got thirty five. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the, a full. It's a full time job. And yeah. And, and the, but the logic there was, you know, the more you can pay, the better talent you can attract. And I'm going to say, I'm going to make a pitch for myself right now. You're hiring a an industry veteran finance professional for thirty five thousand dollars. That's a great deal. It's uh, I'm not doing that for I'm not doing it for the money. That's for, for sure. For a school system that has one hundred and sixty thousand kids and yep. twenty three thousand employees, we're talking about this is a corporation level of of yeah. uh, to hire an employee at thirty five thousand dollars a year who makes high level to financial decisions. I I think that we can all agree that that's a hell of a deal. <laughs> that's a hell of a deal. Let me ask you about um, you mentioned earlier MCPS students who've committed offenses that are violent in nature. We were talking about that briefly. Would you be in favor of allowing students to remain in our public schools um, with other students who desire to learn who've committed these offenses, or would you be in favor of moving said students to an alternative school where they can be better served and not be a threat to the student population? I like the latter on that. Okay. Yeah, that's. Um, I just I just think we've got to keep our kids safe, and it's uh, one of the first priorities. Yeah. And it's just there's too many ways that can go wrong, and. Uh, it's not worth the risk. Stephen, we mentioned the student member of the Board of Education earlier in the yep. memo that you were reading. There's been a discussion about increasing um, the stipend that's paid to Board of Education members and the student member of the board. What's your thoughts on that? Um, you know, I, I mean, if, if the student is being paid, look, the student has full voting rights already. They they have the same they they should be doing the same level of work that the the adult members are doing. If that's the case, I don't see anything wrong with uh, paying the student. Um, now there there's a whole lot of other issues I have with the student member of the board, but that's not really one of them. Um, should the student member of the the board be given authority to vote on budgetary matters? Well, that's a good question. Now it's not something that I can control on the board. It's, that's controlled at the state level. Mm-hmm. And so I think that from the student uh, government people that I've met, they're very impressive students. They're very smart people. And uh, I'm impressed with them. And I do think that they, I support for until further notice their right to vote. And there's nothing I can do to change it even if I didn't like it. So that's not really the issue. The issue for me is, uh, they only serve one year. That's the big difference, mm-hmm. right? And and um, if you allow a student to do things like Ananya Tataconda did, where she chaired a committee and she she uh, authored highly impactful policy changes, and then left for college, <laughs> and we're sitting here today still cleaning that up. Um, I think that. Absolutely, they a student. There needs to be a, a policy change to not allow a student member of the board to sit on a, a chair of committee. They, they, that was my next question. Yeah, there needs to be. Um, there also needs to be something about policy changes. Now, if it's if it's to get strawberry milk uh, in the cafeteria, okay, the student can do that. If it's to change, if it's to start a boundary analysis, uh, it needs to have a 
a sitting adult board member as the sponsor. I don't think because, it's unfair to patronize the the school member of the board or condescend that their talents are not squarely uh, or aligned with those of their colleagues who are adults. However, I will say that at when I was 17 or 18, yeah. would I be able to read a complex financial budget and be under un, and have that 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 knowledge or institutional knowledge to understand how to use that information and to make the decisions. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a fair question that we need to ask our school system. Yeah, and and what and and you have to also ask. There's no there's no um, standards that like some of these kids. I'm sure are, are I've heard that they they pick apart the budget and that's great, but that's not a requirement. So they don't have to know anything about a budget and they can still they can still vote just like they did the one that did know about the budget. So there's there should be if they're going to vote on stuff like that, they should have uh, some knowledge. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, we, we don't need students that are in there for a year only passing policies that parents and taxpayers have to deal with for years to come. Uh, there's, it's also a conflict of interest if you really want to look at it. Right. That goes on their resume. And so they're incentivized theoretically to have the most impactful uh, enact the most impactful changes which they'll look better on the resume so you got to ask about that too are you in favor of using free and reduced meals uh, numbers um, and the newly created ever farms as the first priority in a redistricting decision uh, generally no because well let's start with ever farms um, some of the some of the criticism I've heard of using ever farms and I as a former farms recipient, uh, qualifying recipient kid, I can relate to this. People find it offensive when you say, Hey, you were, you were poor enough to be, uh, on assistance when you were whatever age, maybe you were five, maybe you were seven. Mm -hmm. And therefore we're going to consider you to never be your family, to never be capable to get above that level. I find that offensive. Cause I know I was, once we got out of that, I was never back. We didn't, we weren't rich, but we, you know, we did okay. And this is a country where people can do that. And so I, I find that I find it offensive and it's not a, it's not a, a, a metric that it's used widely anywhere else. It was basically engineered for this WXY analysis. Now in terms of, I think, I think when we look at diversity, it's a very good question too, right? Is how are we, how are we defining diversity and whose definition wins out? Because you could make the case that every school in MCPS today is diverse. It's just a question of how you're defining diversity. Right. And the people on the other side of this argument don't agree with me on that. But, you know, I, I, I see my schools. I see my, my kids' friends. They're from all over the world. If that's not considered diverse, I don't know what is. Um, so it's, it's a question of, of how you're defining it. Um, I think I think farms should be used as a as a tool to identify where we should be putting our resources, though, expanding our resources so that we can help those kids in any way we can. So I think farms is good for that. Big issue front and center in the state politics is the Kerwin recommendations, and I'm sure you're following along with that. Mm -hmm. And the other question is the cost and how that's going to affect taxpayers at the state level, yep. locally, they tried to pass a tax bill that, that failed. That, uh, they wanted to raise, they wanted to lower the sales tax, but then raise the fees on services, right. and that was shut down in committee. What are your thoughts on the recommendations, Stephen, and how would we fund them? Yeah. 
Uh, well, I'll start again with that's a state level, um, but I have my own opinions and agree. Uh, it's a, it's a very challenging uh, situation. Now, what I would let me, I'm the I'm in the mindset of teach a man to fish kind of kind of mind frame. So we need to stimulate Maryland's economy, right? We have seven million, six seven million people in Maryland. I I, I made this comparison with Stuart Vaughn when I was talking with him on Twitter one time, and I said. Dallas-Fort Worth, where I'm from, has the same number of people as the state of Maryland. It has 24 Fortune 500 companies based in Dallas-Fort Worth. You know how many we have in Maryland? Two. Mm -hmm. And the problem is we are not a conducive environment for bringing in uh, businesses. Prince George County grew faster than Montgomery County in terms of job growth. Um, we, one, one area that, and this is a personal thing for me because I study computer science, I know that University of Maryland has a pretty strong computer science department. They just built a new building. And um, the kids, from what I understand, they just move away. We need to get an innovation economy here, similar to Austin, Texas, where I went to school, similar to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, mm. Boston, you know, incubators. Like, get these kids, expand our magnet program. This is something the BOE can do to help with yeah. this. Expand our magnet programs, get more tech focus, get kids in that, who want to stay in Maryland, get venture capital, get all that stuff, get, get that, get that innovation economy going because that's a tax revenue source. Yeah. And know? we have the, the talent and the capabilities right Absolutely. here in Montgomery County. And Absolutely. I grew up in Western Maryland in Washington County. And that's always a constant struggle is how do we have the students who go away to college? Like myself, I went to Pittsburgh for, for college. Yeah. So you mentioned an incubator. I'm very passionate about that because I've seen it play out. Yep. And when since I have left Pittsburgh 10 years ago, I got to tell you, Stephen, um, fund fundamentally has changed the entire city. Yeah. It is amazing what Pittsburgh is accomplishing. Yeah, I agree. I was there I, and, recently. Yeah. And the cost of living is truly one of the best in America. Yeah. yeah. I love Pittsburgh. I was there recently and uh, – it's it's hopping. I it's, mean, around Carnegie it, Mellon, just yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. and the, think of the unadulterated talent that's yep. that's there that that they're churning out. The, I mean, the, they're churning out the next tech whiz, whizzes, yeah. and that's going to be the tech hub of the east of of the east. I think absolutely. And I mean, I was in Austin, Texas, in the dot com bubble. Yeah, that's what helped me get through school. I coded while I was going to school, and it at the time there were 500,000 residents in Austin, Texas. Today there's over a million. Mm -hmm. It's become a victim of its own success. I mean, it's choking on its own traffic, but that's what we should be doing in Maryland. And that, you know, you create your own success when you do that. When you, when you lead with, with the taxes and not the, the stim, the stimulative economy, mm -hmm. it, it's a challenge. I mean, we have 10 years, so maybe we'll figure it out. I hope we will. Are you supportive of the recommendations by Kerwin? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, at least in uh, you know, from universal pre-K, universal pre-K for sure. The paid, what about trades. starting teachers at sixty thousand a year? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we teachers need to be paid more. I was telling somebody this earlier. Went to the mall with my daughter to buy shoes, and the the lady helping us, she was in her twenties, and she she said, "Oh, I work with kids her age." And I said, "Oh, really? What what do you do?" And she said, "I'm a teacher." Mm -hmm. And I was like, "Wow, you you're selling shoes on the weekend, and you're a teacher during the week because they're just not paid." And she said she lived with her parents. Mm. So they're not paid enough, um, but that gets back into you know you stimulate the economy and you get more re tax revenue and you can you can afford to do that. I've heard from teachers and parents that there is a morale problem among 
MCPS teachers that they feel like they're not yeah. being heard. Have you heard similar? I have, yeah. And what are your thoughts on that? Well, I've, what I've heard is that the the real issue, well, besides the mental health, which we talked about, is the the lack of time to do their planning and also the the machine, uh, what was it? They're teaching McNuggets. Mm-hmm. So in other words, you you it's a one-size-fits-all model. You have to you have to get these numbers in place, and and I think that's a much longer game. You know, you have to restructure that in a way that we can have these customized plans and let teachers empower teachers, right, so that they can actually make a difference in a kid's life. And uh, I don't think we're doing a great job at that in MCPS. If we were, we probably wouldn't ha- be having this discussion about the boundary changes because I think some of these schools would be doing better. Many parents are concerned that MCPS, they're only challenging students performing at grade level or below, and they're not challenging or focusing on students at advanced levels or above grade level. What do you say to that? I've heard a little bit of that too. We were at the forum last night, and one of the questions was, do you want to bring, would you bring back final exams? And I think the answer in my mind is yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rigor is, is critical in these schools, and, um, you know, uh, kids kids need to be prepared for the real world. Yeah. I mean, when you go to, if you leave the M- MCPS today and, and you haven't been forced to take final exams and you go to your first college course, we both know this, and, you, and that's that's going to be a rude awakening for you. So uh, I think it's critical that we that we we maintain that. I I think that you're right. I I, I strongly agree with that. <laughs> Let me ask you. One other question about school buses. What do you think is a reasonable amount of time that we should expect a student to sit on a bus each day? Yeah, well, I guess we could use adult measures for that. And one of the things, when I lived in New York for a little while, I, I, I was living in Brooklyn and I had to commute to Stanford, Connecticut. Now it was too far on the subway to, tra- to transfer to a From train. New York to Stanford. Stanford, Ugh. yeah. And uh, so I had to drive. Yeah. It took me 50 minutes in the morning because it was a reverse commute. And it took sometimes an hour and a half or more on the way home. Yeah. Now, I've, I know people personally. I mean, granted, their kids are at holding schools, but they are adjacent clusters. And their kids are on the bus for an hour and a half mm. one way. Um, that's too long. Uh, I, in my mind, it really shouldn't exceed more than 30 minutes. Uh, that just seems like a reasonable commute. One of the reasons why I picked where I live, I live 12 minutes away from my office. Oh, I'm, a, I'm a big I'm a big fan of the lifestyle improvement that a short commute brings you, and I think that translates to kids as well. That would make my wife really happy. She <laughs> works down in Bethesda. Her commute's an hour each. I mean, oh, think about yeah. it. 12 miles away in Bethesda. We're here in Gaithersburg. 12 miles. And uh, yeah, and it's tough. Um, and luckily for me, I live in. We live uh, right in Gaithersburg, and then we have uh, my commute to the Kentlands is about three minutes or four oh, minutes. Nice. So it's yeah, yeah, it's it is convenient. So that is a factor where people live. I want I want to get your perspective on the Damascus High School incident. Do you think that MCPS handled that properly? No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I think they pretty much and let's just talk about incidents in general pretty much they drop the ball almost every time it feels like i I don't know they either um the one and the one you're talking about is that the that the gun incident or is that the the rape the rape the rape yeah but i don't think the gun one was handled right either i mean the the, there's been a couple yeah of incidents and uh it's just 
Now, granted, again, it goes back to you can't be everywhere at once. And, the, and you know, some of this stuff happened off campus and there's things that you can't control. But um, it's just the messaging. They almost always drop the ball. And I don't know what the problem is. Again, it probably goes back to the lawyer speak and they don't want to make a mistake. And so sometimes they, they're, they sit on their hands for too long. Um, I feel like they may even be happening with the virus situation right now. I know my my phone has vibrated a bunch and there was a, a lot of controversy today about should we be posting on this? Should we not be posting on this? Are people getting into a panic? Are they not getting into a panic? Yeah, how do you see your a role as a board member? And especially, I want to, it's a crisis, right? Where there's multiple organizations all throughout that, that are dealing with this coronavirus issue. Yeah. And transparency is key in any process when you're communicating with people. When you have the information, you communicate it. And I think that our state government responsive center has been f- done fairly well yeah. on communicating this vital information. Um, what do you make of that? Of uh, the state level? Uh, no, no, well, or here, just MCPS? Yeah, MCPS's um, response to the coronavirus. Well, I know that they don't they don't control whether the school gets shut down or not, and that's that's a key point to make. Right. Uh, I think they're trying to do the best they can given that situation. Um, you know, it's I know I know it's not easy. So, and this is not a typical situation. No, that, it's that completely atypical. Experience. I mean, I was even telling my daughter this. I was like, I don't remember anything like this when I was a kid. You know, and it's <laughs> no, it's our, our biggest thing was how long are they going to shut schools down for a massive snowstorm? Right, right. And if, if well, in Texas, I don't know if you guys got much snow, but uh, in Western Maryland, where I grew up, I remember the blizzard in '96, and yeah. we had a. We had, I think school was shut down for a week. <laughs> so, Stephen, we're we're approaching the end of this, and I really appreciate your time. I know yeah. you're a busy guy, two kids, and you're probably are going to be formed out here soon with the amount of forms that are scheduled. But it's look, it's good. It's a good, healthy uh, discussion that you're going to have, and yeah. to talk about ideas, and that's most important. Plug your website and uh, maybe any of the upcoming sure. events that you're going to be at. Yeah. All right, so uh, website for the campaign is www.steven, with a P-H, Austin, the number four, B-O-E dot com. Stephen Austin for B-O-E dot com. And your group. And the group is uh, Montgomery County, Maryland, but it's MD, Neighbors for Local Schools. You'll have to search it on Facebook because it's a private group, and then you can uh, request admission to the to this, uh, group, and you'll be most likely approved if you answer the questions. Um and then we had moconeighbors.com, which I also mentioned. Uh, and then just r- for the candidacy, the platform, it, I think we went through most of it. It's, it's um, you know, a parent on the board to hold the board accountable to the community. It's you want someone in there who has a financial uh, background that can steer the ship, help with the budget. I think it's time. And just help with finances across the board. And then lastly is, but it's not the least important is we need to improve the schools for all kids, all means all. And I think, I think there's better ways to do it than moving the kids around. And that's what I'm running on. Steven, it's been a pleasure to chat with you today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for joining a minor detail podcast for the first time and best of luck in your race ahead. And for anybody listening, the primary is on April the 28th. And I just read something today that they might begin to look at the mail-in ballots given the coronavirus. But early voting is tentatively scheduled to begin on the the 16th and it goes until the 23rd, if if I believe that's correct. uh, And you can, if you're an independent 
independent voter, not registered to a party, you can vote in the primary because it's a nonpartisan election. I'm used to that. I'm an unaffiliated in Maryland. There you go. <laughs> um, Stephen Austin running for the Montgomery County Board of Education at large seat. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. We'll shake hands. We have hand sanitizer. There you go. <laughs> Maryland's 2020 primary election is Tuesday, April the 28th. Early voting begins Thursday, April the 16th and concludes on Thursday, April the 23rd. Be sure to check out a minor detail podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, CastBox, Overcast, or wherever you listen to your podcast. A Minor Detail Podcast is on the web at aminordetailpodcast.com. For Maryland political news, please visit aminordetail.com. I'm Ryan Miner. Thanks for listening.